the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a very pleasant good afternoon to you. Just about six minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on this Wednesday, March the 25th edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here with you each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. And these days, wow, many issues that are impacting life, but none more perhaps significantly than the COVID-19 virus. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk about Wall Street, some good news, encouraging news, in fact, 14% spike over the last two days. So the future of your retirement, not quite as bleak as it was, maybe <laughs> perhaps on uh, on Monday, as recent as Monday. Pat Vitucci will join us in the 6 o'clock hour to talk about this and some steps you need to take to protect your financial future. That's coming your way tonight at 6 o'clock. A little bit later on, the first hour, we'll talk with Pete Peterson, he, of course, is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Boy, health policy, certainly critically important. There's now been the passage of this $2 trillion bailout package and a check maybe coming your way to help out. I say maybe because there are some pretty significant caveats. We'll talk about how much of a difference 1200 bucks can make. Not. Coming up later on when Pete Peterson from Pepperdine University joins us. During times of difficulty in America, we have always had a tendency to rally together. We come together during times of war, times of terrorist attacks. This is a bit different, though. This is a time where in the midst of this global pandemic that literally has touched every part of the world. I was looking at a list yesterday, 163-something countries. You have to go to Fiji, I think, to find where only one person has been impacted by corona. But those numbers, of course, may potentially rise. So it certainly is a global crisis. And as we try to juggle to adjust to all of this, let's some, spend some time talking about the importance of not just family care, but as well as self-care. Joining me now is the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries. You hear him each Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. here on KFAX. Is the host of New Life Live. He's the author of a number of best-selling books, including Take Your Life, Mac, Every Man's Battle, Toxic Faith, and his most recent, this is a mouthful, Kirby McCook and the Jesus Chronicles. We're joined now by Steve Otterburn. Steve, great to have you with us. Craig, always uh, good to be with you. You holding up all right? Yeah, we're hanging in there. You know, we're we're learning to do uh, do this in a different way. Broadcasting today from the little home studio here, and uh, you know, we're we're engaging in a little bit of social distancing to make sure everybody stays safe, and most importantly, that the word of God and the encouragement can continue 
to go forth. Let's talk about this issue here. I, I alluded to the notion that typically in times of crisis, we as, as Americans, in fact, probably innate to humankind, we rally together. But I have to wonder right now, with all this social distancing that is required of us, where typically crisis brings us together, this one is forcing us apart. And I've got to believe there are some emotional and psychological side effects of all this. Well, uh, let me tell you, I, I'm experiencing those. I traveled uh, from California Sunday before last, and because my wife has had some um, immune issues, I've been in self-isolation, uh, living at my office. Uh, now I'm in my 10th day. I'll, I'll be here uh, for 14 days, and I've had no uh, human contact. Um, no one's come in, gone out. I haven't uh, for 10 days. And I'll tell you, it can really get to you. But, you know, we've been creative. Uh, we've watched movies uh, you know, with the kids at home. I've watched movies on FaceTime uh, where the face, you know, the phone's up there and I can see what they're watching and hear it. And um, it, it really is a time where uh, technology can help us stay connected as best possible. But uh, anybody that is like in a nursing home or a retirement home and nobody's coming in or out anymore, I, I feel for you because I've been going through it, and it is not fun. Well, I would imagine so, and I appreciate you sharing that candor because I, I wasn't aware, and uh, we'll be praying for you. It's not easy. It, it's not easy at all, and, and, and I guess a big part of this as we're trying to kind of count the cost, and of course it's it's premature to come up with any conclusions but i have to ask you this steve is it fair to call a big part of what we're feeling right now um, not only collectively but individually as grief and i ask that because i we're we're dealing with loss of freedom loss of income loss of familiar in in your case loss of connectivity with with mm. your own family and i suppose uh, even a, a sense as we look at the tragic loss of life around us there's got to be a mix of not just grief but some fear uh, factored into that yeah i i do think that there is uh, a general anxiety I, I think if you're not a bit anxious uh that's not realistic um but we really i mean you're really uh wise in saying that this should be uh leading us to a grieving process because uh, we are experiencing grief. It, the security alone, we've lost this kind of false sense of security that we had or that the world is going to be predictable. Uh, there's a book entitled The Black Swan, and it talks about events like this that you can't predict. And the concept of the book is that um, every person that ever saw a swan, was it was white, uh, until the 1600s when we discovered Australia, and someone went down there, and they discovered that they had some swans that were black, and no one ever expected that. So this is what you would call a black swan event. You didn't predict it. And, and when we're in the midst of it, like 9-11, we think, oh, it's never going to get better. Uh, something horrible might happen next. But you look back on it, and you, you did get through it. It's going to be okay. And so I would say... You know, let's look at what level of fear we're at. And i got to tell you, Craig, I, I've hated to hear people uh, say to folks, hey, look, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Well, no, uh, God didn't. Um, but that's such a shaming thing to quote that 
Scripture at someone who uh, maybe this didn't happen at the best part of life, but maybe they got a diagnosis for cancer last week or uh, they their spouse left or a child got in trouble and now this on top of it. And so we really need to have compassion and care uh, for others and not shame them, but try to help them understand fear. You know, if, if, if you're standing in front of um, the sheriff's office in Mayberry of Andy Griffith days and you're afraid that you're going to be robbed, well, that's kind of, uh, that shows that's inappropriate. But if you're in a dark alley one night and, and the street lights at the other end and you see this shadow and it looks like there's a gun in one hand and a knife in the other, well, fear would be a natural emotion that might lead to saving your life. But if the fear is so debilitating, you need to reach out and get some help for that because, um, you know, God really didn't give us a spirit of fear, and he wants to come in and empower us and comfort us through the Holy Spirit, and that's available to anybody no matter what they're going through. And, you know, at this time, I think, you know, knowledge is, is always empowering, and to put what you're saying in perspective, so critically important. And I've heard people say that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, and, and, and while that's true, but God did give us that sense of fight-flight response, and, yes. and that mechanism is there as a means of, of self-preservation, isn't it? I mean, you, you talked about the Mayberry experience, and, you know, if you're, if you're afraid of being robbed in that kind of scenario, it's maybe a little bit unrealistic, but you meet the big mm-hmm. crook who, you know, uh, accosts you in the dark alleyway and when you're coming out of work late at night and it's dark, and that's that fear that says, uh-oh, um, there's some sense of risk here, and I need to take action to respond to it. And I, and I would suspect that some of what we're calling fear today is really just a, an emotional reaction to a bigger issue. And, and that is, for all of us, concern. Concern for the future. Yeah. Concern for the safety of our kids. If we've got grandparents that are out of touch right now or out of distance and we're wondering, gee, they're in a retirement home. Have they been exposed? How critically could this impact their lives? Those are all very natural responses, aren't they? They really are. And um, we want to um, prepare, and we want to protect ourselves, and we also want the balance of, of trusting God. And I w- I'd love to read you something from Martin Luther, who was dealing with the plague back in 1527 uh, in Wittenberg, and that was far more uh, deadly than this. But some pastors were asking him, what should we do? Do we run? Do we help? And, and listen to this brilliant thing he said. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us, then I shall fumigate. <laughs> I just, I think that's so powerful. And, and he, goes, he goes on to say, uh, I'm going to help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. And listen to this. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so caused their death as a result of my negligence. That's from 1,527. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just so wise on his part. It, it's, it's amazing, and it, it's showing perhaps a, a greater degree of wisdom than we've seen demonstrated here in, in, in a few isolated cases. And, you know, I, 
I, I, I appreciate the spirit that we're not going to buckle under, but when that continues to the notion of somehow feeling that we're we're under some sort of threat of our religious liberties if government authorities say that for health reasons we shouldn't assemble and do church electronically instead, and somebody says, no, we're going to damn the torpedoes and meet together anyway, no matter what happens. Um, and, you know, that that's about as foolish as saying, well, when I drive, I don't do it with a seatbelt because I've decided that that somehow is an influence by the government that I don't want on my life. Well, the control is there because it's trying to save your life, not to interfere with it. And so wonderful wisdom, certainly, from um, Martin Luther. We, we mm-hmm. need more like him today. If you've we just really joined do. us, our visit today with Steve Otterburn, founder and chairman of New Life Ministries. The broadcast, by the way, continues on every Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. right here on KFAX. So if you're looking for some encouragement and some support during these times of uncertainty, we invite you to tune into the broadcast. In addition to that, and I'll have Steve talk more about this when we come back after the break, but while you're feeling levels of stress and perhaps you you don't know where to turn or a lot of the normal resources are, are simply out of reach, know that New Life Live is here, ready, willing, and available to help. And there's all kinds of resources available. Counseling can be done by phone. Resources available through the website. And of course, tuning in to the daily broadcast encouragement at 1 p.m. here on KFAX. Jot this down, would you? And then we'll talk more about it after the break. Um, the toll-free number to reach New Life Live is easy. It's simply 800-NEW-LIFE. That's 800 N-E-W-L-I-F-E. Or you can visit newlife.com. That's newlife.com or toll-free 800-N-E-W-L-I-F-E. We'll take a brief time out. When we come back, let's talk about the polar opposite of what Steve is going through right now, where he is isolated from his family. What happens when families are suddenly thrust together 24-7 inside of the four walls of a home? How do you, under those close quarters, deal with the family stress between husband and wife? And what about the kids? All that and more here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. All right, 519, we're going to get you some traffic right now, such as it is here in the Bay Area. Central services and workers still uh, going about their business, so let's see what the Wednesday ride home looks like from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking today with Steve Audubon. Of course, you know his work and his voice from New Life Live, heard Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. here on KFAX. He's the author of a number of best-selling books and joins us today talking a bit about the current situation that we're all collectively facing and um, exploring some of not just the emotional fallout, but the importance of care for others around us and self-care. I certainly imagine, Steve, as you talked about your own situation, self-quarantined and isolated from your family, that there is some isolation apart stress. But speak for a moment, if you would, to the opposite kind of stress, and that is the isolation together, where suddenly there's a family dynamic going on where, you know, the husband's normally out of the house every day, or the wife goes to work every day, and suddenly family is all home, and there is this dynamic where we're forced to get along, and that can be challenging. Well, it sure can. And, you know, the, the big question when all this came down was, are we going to see more babies born um, or are we going to see more uh, divorces? And sadly, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of thinking uh, it could result in more divorces. 
Uh, the first thing we need to do is realize this is not easy on anyone, and everybody's experiencing it in a different way based on what they've been through or, or what they're going through. And so we need to approach this uh, the same way God approaches us. One of the greatest scriptures says that God is rich in mercy. And so we really need to model that in this time, and we need to give each other a break. This isn't the time, because you're together, to work out some conflict uh, that you've, you've had, uh, unless you go see a counselor or something, because you've got time for the kids, you've got time to do some fun things and creative things, and you've got time to come together and reach out and help others. And if you're in conflict the whole time, you're really going to miss this point. Uh, my wife was talking to uh, some of the women at our church in ministry, and uh, she was reminded that 21 years ago, when she was giving birth to uh, James, our 21-year-old, that she, um, the, the nurse said, you're going to have one final push here, and I want you to make it count. And she said, you know, that is just something that stuck with me. And she said, the, the baby that I that I made it count for uh, now is 21. And he said uh, yesterday to her, Mom, this is our assignment. Uh, some, some generations have a war. Some people have famine. But this is our assignment, and we want to make that assignment count for God. And that, if you start looking at it that way, then maybe you're not going to be so focused on my feelings are hurt or, you know, I, I'm not happy. But you, you've got to do something. You've got to You've got to accommodate the other person, and then we need to kind of adapt some of our behaviors during this time so we're a little bit easier to live with. And if we do that, we'll get through it, and we'll show compassion and mercy for each other, and we'll be better people for it. And our kids will see that, and they'll model that, and that's what we want. Good opportunity here to to not only practice patience, but also to practice our sense of of being gracious and what that means and what that looks like. And I mentioned earlier, Steve, about the notion of self-care, and and that's so critically important, I think, right now, because in addition to the kind of emotional and and mental stress that we're all under, we're worried about family, we're worried about what's going to happen financially, maybe we have a small business that's closed right now, so there's there's all kinds of questions related to that. But if we're not careful in in doing what you're prescribing and engaging in that self-care, can't this also spill over into then shifting? from being emotional stress to physical distress. Uh, you know, people have talked about reduced concentration, for example, because they're not sleeping, because they're worried. So if, I guess, I guess if, you, if you fail to deal with, with caring for yourself spiritually and emotionally, there, there can be other more significant um, detrimental issues taking place here beyond just the worry of what's going on in the unknown. Well, I tell you, um, if, if you doubt that that's true, uh, talk to one of these moms who maybe um, always thought it would be so wonderful um, to, to homeschool the kids. And, and then, you know, now you're, you're forced to do e-learning, and, and you discover it's very much like ice skating. When you think about going ice skating, you're thinking of, of the figure skating at the Olympics, and, and then you get there, and, and you fall, and you get hurt. And we're just trying to encourage parents not to um, uh, commit homicide over the difficulty with e-learning, and and so 
yes, you are, you're experiencing this. And if you don't, if you're always giving and pushing yourself to the limit and nothing coming in for you, uh, then you really could end up kind of flipping your body over into a, a place where it has an immune problem or you get physically sick. So you must take care of yourself. And that's why we're telling people, you know, look, if you run out of ideas um, or you're at the end of your rope, we've got people at 800 New Life that they'll just talk with you and they'll try to help you the best way possible. And let me just say this. One of the things we did is we had this video library for our faithful uh, Club New Life members. We've got over 360 videos on different things. Well, we've opened that up to anybody that goes to newlife.com, and you can view some of these these really powerful videos that will help you uh, turn things around, and you won't have to stay miserable. But I think, you know, to expect that everybody needs to be strong and, and you're going to be okay, that's unrealistic because, um, you know, you, you just may have been through a lot of things that other people haven't experienced, and if you're having trouble, don't be ashamed. Uh, reach out and get some help, and, and that's what we're here for. And I'm so pleased to hear you share that because, you know, Steve, right now we're, we're all working from home. Uh, we're spending perhaps inordinate amounts of time now in front of the computer screen, not just in go-to-meetings and things of that sort, but, you know, I, I find myself, I wake up in the middle of the night, well, I'll get up and check the news, you know, uh, yeah. force a habit, I suppose, but you, you, you send, tend to kind of be inundated of what's going on on Wall Street and what are the latest COVID-19 numbers, uh, to, to know that there's a resource online that instead of feeding into the fear uh, can actually feed into something healthier that not only can provide a sense of, of increased ability and coping skills to get through all of this, and we will get through all of this, and there is an, there's gonna, the sun will come up tomorrow, not, not to be cliche-ish here, but you know, uh, let, let's not leave out the importance of the faith component here, that God is, is stretching us and trying us, yeah. and under all circumstances, an opportunity to be drawn closer to him. And as you're spending all that time in front of the computer, why not make it worthwhile that could not only help you get through this experience, but maybe on the backside come out as a better husband, a better father, a better mother or wife, a better child or a sibling, and, and hopefully, too, a better believer. Steve, repeat again. For folks, go to newlife.com. Where can they find uh, that resource of all of those videos? Well, you just look in the corner. It's pretty obvious there on the website, and it's um, our Club New Life site, and we just opened up the whole video library. But, Craig, I want to, you know, I'm a Bible guy, and um, I've, I've uh, edited 12 specialty Bibles, and the one I did uh, most recently is called the Restoration Bible. And I will give, if anybody needs a Bible to get them through this time, I'll give it to you. And uh, all you have to do is, is uh, send me your address, at um, Steve Social at newlife.com. Give me your address and your name, and I'll send you a free restoration Bible. It's great devotion. It's great uh, study Bible, and uh, I don't want anything in return. I just want to get it to you and get you into God's Word. This is a great time, and uh, you might have all you might have is an old, um, you know, King James or something that's hard to read. This is is easy to read, and it's got great, great devotional and study material in it. 
That's a very generous offer, Steve, and I hope that that, that listeners that are in an awkward position and they can really use that kind of spiritual support will take advantage of it. Share that email address again, please. It's real simple. It's called stevesocial at newlife.com. Give me your address. I'll send you a free Bible, and uh, you, you won't... I mean, it's just a gift. I want to help you get God's Word inside of you and let that kind of truth override some of the truth that we're having to deal with every day. Yeah, for sure. And, and let me also reiterate, if if you feel like the walls are closing in and you can't escape, literally, uh, there are counselors available. You can call that toll-free number I shared earlier at 800-NEW-LIFE. That's 800-N-E-W-L-I-F-E. And there are people available that can uh, that can help you out, give you some answers, and, and help help you work through this challenge that all of us are facing. Online at newlife.com. That's newlife.com, or again, toll-free, 800-N-E-W-L-I-F-E. I, I want to step aside and mention one other thing here, uh, not to embarrass Steve, but this ministry has been so faithful for so many years here in Northern California and partnering with KFAX Radio and, and providing resources, even to the degree, as Steve just mentioned, literally giving it away. Um, many ministries are going to come under some increased pressure now because money is tight, people are fearful, and, and sometimes people kind of tighten up the purse strings so much so we don't want that to choke off ministries. And so um, maybe you're one of the fortunate ones that already filed your income taxes and got a, a nice tax rebate back, or you're sitting on a little bit of money and you want to help invest it in the kingdom to make a difference. Be mindful of the important resource of ministries like New Life Live and, and consider them in your giving if you would, and you can find out more information about giving and supporting this ministry online at newlife.com. That's newlife.com. Steve, how many more days do you go before you have to or before you can finally get out of the, get out of the office? <laughs> I'm out of prison uh, on Sunday at 8 p.m., so I'm really, really excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> Counting down the minutes and hours, I guess. Yeah. Well, brother, yeah. uh, it's it's not easy, but we're we're going to be praying for you. I invite the listeners to uh, to join me in that, and I appreciate so much you taking some time to uh, share a word of encouragement and your generosity with our audience here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, thanks so much, and appreciate you. You know, we have a, a like heart for uh, the unborn, and um, just to ask everybody stay safe and be smart, and uh, let God. Uh, know when you need them, and let somebody else know when you need them. Amen. And again, resources available. You're not alone. If there's anything you take away from this conversation, you're not alone. God is there, and good folks at uh, New Life Live are there too to support you and give you words of hope and encouragement. Online at newlife.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E dot com or toll-free 800-NEW-LIFE. Steve Otterburn, founder and chair of New Life Ministries, Monday through Friday, New Life Live, 1 p.m. right here on AM 1100 KFAX. All right, 534, let's turn a corner. They're easy to get around these days, and uh, to find out just how easy they are on this Wednesday, let's get the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, welcome back to the conversation. Coming up, hour number two tonight, we're going to be joined by Pat Vitucci. He, of course, is a financial advisor, been in the world of retirement planning, money management for over 30 years. We have seen a historical uptick, not likes of which have been around since the 1930s on Wall Street. Two days, 14% rise. Let's talk about whether or not that's going to be good news for your retirement plan or is still time to hunker down. How do you respond? We'll talk about that coming up tonight in the 6 o'clock hour. All right. The government is putting the final finishing touches on a $2 trillion, that's T trillion dollar bailout plan. And um, in part of that is a stimulus check that will be going to many Bay Area residents, although not all of them. Let's talk about whether or not this is just uh, a bit of a, uh, what's the old saying, bit of sugar to make the medicine go down, or can this really have a significant impact on the financial well-being of Californians and Americans overall? We talk about the public policy dynamic of health care, and boy, I've been waiting to, to get Pete Peterson on the line here, <laughs> and I am thrilled that you have joined us. Pete, by the way, is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, and you know, Pete, you and I, we talk about a lot of public policy-related issues, and little did we know right. that the public policy impact as it relates to health care, you know, outside of things like Obamacare and, and the high cost to go get a, a, a see a doctor or what they charge for, a, for an aspirin when you're hospitalized, we really, I don't think any of us really understood what potentially we were facing. But here we are, and welcome. Well, good to be with you, Craig, although as you, as you point to, I wish we were under better circumstances. And you're so right, although... Uh, I think much of the focus around coronavirus and this pandemic has been on the the medical and and health aspects of it. It really is a a massive public policy and political challenge, and it's certainly stress testing all of our policy making bodies from uh, local governments all the way up to uh, Capitol Hill. I want to talk about finances for a moment and then make a big shift into the whole issue of public policy and where potentially our failures have been that are now grossly exposed for not just Americans but the world to see. First off, the stimulus check, $1,200. Um, right. If you earn up to $75,000, you get the full amount. It adjusts downwards from there. And if you're making $99,000 a year, that's, that's not filing jointly. That's just an individual. $99,000 a year, that $1,200 altogether disappears. Now, I suppose if I'm walking down the street, Pete, and I find $1,200 sitting on the sidewalk, I'm going to feel pretty good about that. If you've been unemployed for a season, let's say a month, and in comes a $1,200 stimulus check, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm sure this yep. is true down in SoCal where you're from, that's maybe a third of my rent, hardly the kind of money that is going to be life-changing. I look at this and I wonder, is this really going to help Americans and stimulate the economy, or is there a degree to which this is potentially a little bit of sugar to help the medicine go down as we look at a $2 trillion taxpayer bailout for many, quite frankly, um, extremely wealthy multinational corporations, many of whom have been actively engaged in stock buybacks, in the case of one, Hilton Hotels, doing it right up until the 3rd of March, just on the heels of this pandemic outbreak, and now of which, of course, they're lined up asking for help 
But at the end of the day, I think we need to be mindful. The help doesn't really come from Congress. It comes from you and me. Exactly right. That, that really does, Craig, need to be uh, the, buck, the buck stops with us, so to speak. And, and to your point, this, this, if we look back, this started out as, as around 850 or 900 billion and has turned into 2.2 trillion in just a few days. And so the, the amount of uh, lobbyist engagement and sausage making is really in many ways, as I'm sure your listeners have been following from uh, support for the Kennedy Center to uh, keeping, uh, helping out museums in New York to uh, the Green New Deal elements having to do with the airlines. I mean, it's just so many different parts to this bill, which I think really are are objectionable. And even at this late stage, it, it seemed like we were on our way towards passage in the House, but as you, you've been reporting, uh, several Republican senators hearing that uh, there's been a last-second attempt made by Speaker Pelosi to add an extra $600 to that $1,200, making it in the neighborhood of, of $1,800, uh, seems to be a major uh, sticking point now that is causing Republicans in the House uh, to take a step back. So we're we're not we're not out of the woods yet um, uh, on a deal that's passed, uh, but suffice it to say, your your other point about the support for corporations and uh, obviously the lobbying cover that's happening. Carly Fiorina, I thought was interesting in an interview uh, this morning. Somebody who certainly has been supportive as a Republican of, of free market principles has said, really, many of these corporations shouldn't be getting these kinds of bailouts. Um, and and that uh, if if they're not able to make it through, then they can declare bankruptcy and then work their way through that process rather than accepting these multi-billion-dollar uh, support packages. Are we going to find ourselves, in your opinion, revisiting a lot of the debate that remained in the end, I think, unsettled, uh, as we saw back during the the 2008-2009 real estate derivatives crisis, where we were repeatedly told, look, we have to do this because XYZ Bank or XYZ Corporation, they're just too big to fail. We just, we just can't let this this happen. And and I've always thought, you know, I, I get that from the standpoint of not thrusting thousands or tens of thousands of people across America working for some big corporation out of work. But then there's also the sense of saying, well, wait a minute, you know, some of the some of the fundamental philosophy behind how capitalism works is there is an ebb and flow. Some companies will rise to the top and survive and others won't. And, and, and sometimes it's sad to see the demise, but it just it just happens because, well, there's survival of the fittest. There's good management and poor management. Do we really run into maybe complications here when we're trying to sort of pick and choose? which companies get a bailout, which ones don't, and doing all of it at the expense of the American taxpayer and American families? Well, Craig, I think there, there certainly are and will be uh, similar lessons that we will learn this time around as we did after TARP and, uh, and the Great Recession back in two thousand into 2009. But the thing that's quite a bit different about this time around is that you could easily make the argument that many of our 
market failures or business failures in 2008 and 2009 were really of the businesses and banks' own making. Um, this crisis with uh, COVID-19 is, is different in the sense in that biz, uh, governments, both at the state, uh, local, and, and certainly the federal level, have mandated the closure uh, or, or at least cessation of businesses uh, across cities, states, and the nation. And in that, um, I think there is an argument that could be made that government does have some role in the sense that it played a, a direct role in um, harming the businesses, so to speak, with these measures, as justifiable as they are. Uh, there should be some sort of compensatory role. Now, where that crosses a line is where you're beginning to see some of these, uh, I would argue, completely unrelated measures being thrown into this uh, 1,000-plus page bill, both in regulations and also in uh, grants and tax breaks. Um, that part of it is certainly certainly something that we need to watch and and highlight where lobbyists are getting unfair advantage for their particular industries. But a lot of folks on my side of the aisle um, have stepped up and said, well, government really has no role here as they did. Uh, they shouldn't have taken the role that they did back in the Great Recession. And I just think that this case is different in that sense and that government has played a direct role in, in having the businesses uh, close and present a certain set of challenges that were government instituted as opposed to market directed. Yeah, and then certainly in comparison between one and the other, uh, you know, we looked at the bailouts that happened uh, 10, 12 years ago. We said too big to fail, and, you know, uh, we didn't want to see the poor person who had <laughs> went out and purchased a McMansion on yeah. a stated-only right. income loan <laughs> Yep, who, who had no demonstrative means of ever paying back the loan, and we're just counting on the ability of the, the, the uh, absolutely rocket fashion in which we saw the value of real estate continue to increase, particularly in, in California, to be sure, right. and thought, right. no problem. I, when I reach critical mass, I'll just refinance, take some money out, use that to pay the next uh, few uh, you know, uh, mortgage payments and repeat the process. And, and, and you know, here we're talking about some decisions being made by the government, certainly in terms of closing down uh, a business that is literally life and death related. Well, and we've got a situation down here in Los Angeles. I believe it's the same up in the Bay Area. But just today, Mayor Garcetti from uh, Los Angeles has come out and said and, and called people out to say that if you are running a business that is not deemed essential by the city, you will be fined. Um, and is asking other people in neighborhoods to say, if you see a business that's operating that's a non-essential business, then you need to report that. Well, that's that's direct government intervention. Again, we can we can argue that that is a very given the situation that we're in is a is a justifiable step taken by a municipal government. But to to say that that's justifiable and that government then doesn't have a, a role on the compensatory side, I just I just don't think is being consistent. 
If you just joined us, we're visiting today with Pete Peterson. Pete, of course, is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. And we're talking about, well, not just the financial impact of all of this, but the ways in which it has, in the last three weeks, exposed a lot of shortcomings in the healthcare public policy arena. We'll drill down to that a little bit deeper when we come back after a brief timeout. Let's get you updated right now on some traffic. We'll do that at the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. We are joined by Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. And we're talking about the impact of the coronavirus. And, and you know, it, which came first, the chicken or the egg, Pete? In some respects, uh, we're, we're seeing fashions in which the coronavirus is impacting public policy. But the bigger picture, sort of the 30,000-foot high view here, too, isn't that true that a lot of what we're experiencing today is because of shortcomings in our healthcare public policy that kind of opened the gate to this? I mean, witness, for example, the revelation that we've learned in the last couple of weeks that 90% of our pharmaceuticals, 90% yeah. are all imported from China. And I'm thinking... Who and when did they think that was a good idea? Absolutely right, Craig. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously everybody's thinking about uh, responding to the current crisis, and that really needs to be the focus. But there is no doubt that in pharmaceutical companies across the country, as well as uh, in federal agencies, um, especially the FDA, there is a fundamental reconsidering going on about our supply chain as it relates to uh, pharmaceuticals and, frankly, a lot of other things. Uh, the, the other related issue beyond where we're getting our drugs from and, the, and my belief that we're going to, after this, uh, see really a restructuring of, of where our drugs are produced has been, the, I, I think, the, the better understanding that we're getting about the origins of uh, coronavirus. And I think most of your listeners probably know that not only did it originate in China, but it did come out of these, what they call their wet markets, uh, these uh, farmers markets, but really on steroids, where these rather uh, unique and wild animals are being raised for, uh, for food and for sale. And were never really intended for public consumption. I mean, we're talking about bats and goats of different kinds and these uh, armadillo-type animals that they're selling um, without really any sort of uh, public health inspection. And we've seen a few viruses come out of these similar kinds of markets, but now we're seeing one that has turned into a pandemic uh, that really did originate out of a corrupt and broken system in China that is also going to need to be addressed after this. And, you know, the challenge there, of course, is that we're talking about essentially a failed public policy in China That's that right. had the ability to, to, to cross into because, you know, we're a globally connected world. And even as we go back 102 years to the 1918 flu pandemic uh, and, and look at how easy that was able to spread across the globe, absent things like airline travel. In those days, you wanted to go to Europe from the United States, you got on a ship and it took you two yeah. weeks to get here. So when, when you think about that and realize, you know, we're, it, it, it's a different world we're living in here today, suddenly, and clearly yeah. we're going to have to rethink 
a lot of these issues. The, the other thought, too, that comes to mind is, are, are you troubled at all, Pete, by what seems to be sort of a, a disjointed response from a, a, a government standpoint? And I, and I ask that question because, for example, you know, we've seen some states that came on board with recommendations out of Washington, D.C. right away, others yep. very slow to adopt. And I thought two weeks ago, okay, so if we quarantine California, for example, and uh, not to pick on Wyoming, but Wyoming, <clears throat> Wyoming decides not to. And then somebody from California visits Wyoming, spreads the infection, unbeknownst to them. And then California, with the quarantine, eventually we, we, we see uh, the, the, the drop in the bell curve take place. And we say, okay, this is behind us now. And we decide to open up life in California again. And meanwhile, our friend that went and visited Wyoming and infected a bunch of people there, somebody gets on an airplane and, and then comes to Wyoming because they have no quarantine there and comes to visit here in California. And then suddenly we have seen a reigniting of the virus in California. It just seems to me that there are aspects of this that beg for a nationalized pandemic response. Well, that's so true. I mean, as I've said uh, several times to, to friends who have asked, I mean, this is a stress test of our federalist system, right? I mean, we were, we were built as the United States of America and not just America. And, and understanding that, we always understood, as the founders did, that there's a significant role for the federal government as it relates to these international issues. But how do we deal as a country that is run on a state-by-state basis, where much blame is being cast to the White House that really, as you rightly point out, Craig, should be falling on governors. Um, How do do we deal with uh, nationalized problems on a federalized uh, state-by-state basis? And my hope is that we can we can do both coming out of this. My one of my fears is that our great Tenth Amendment, which is such a crucial part of the Bill of Rights, that that really does outline certain responsibilities for the states and and cities and communities versus the federal government, that that balance is not thrown off. At the same time, it does demand greater responsibility taken in times of national crisis by our state-level leaders. I just had a one of our visiting faculty members here in my office not only just a half hour ago who, uh, who um, otherwise teaches at uh, the University of Oklahoma, and that's another state that has acted much differently than California has as it relates to these quarantines and safer-at-home or, or stay-at-home uh, type policies. And what we hope is that we're not going to suffer the consequences down the line, maybe three, four months down the line, uh, because of, frankly, the uh, irresponsibility of other state leaders. Well, and the irony, and and, and let me just quickly say, Pete, I am 110% with you in terms of the importance of states' rights. Uh, There is a reason why our founding fathers crafted the Constitution the way they did, and this notion of power not stemming from the top down, but rather from the bottom up, meaning powers in the hands of the people, I I think is one of those aspects of our constitutional rights that we need to hold and protect and do so very dearly. That said, imagine if it was an option during World War II 
to uh, to respond to the war just the way you felt. So along the West Coast, the state of California said, we're going to do, um, uh, you know, uh, curfews, and we're also going to have the blackout because we don't want to run the risk of a Japanese attack along the California coast. And Oregon said, we like things light. We're not going to do it. Imagine the kind of risk that it could pose to a nation with that sort of disjointed response. I mean, if there was ever a time to demonstrate how there is strength in unity and the importance of us understanding that from a public policy standpoint, there are just certain issues that that really need to have a the national interest at heart. President Trump has talked about, you know, feeling like a wartime president, and, and certainly in terms of the pandemic, uh, there's that feeling going on right now that we are at war with an unseen enemy in a sense. And I think that the idea of a, of a unified nationwide response where the greater good of the health of not just the states but the union really needs to be paramount. I mean, is, is there a degree, and a final question for you, is there a degree where you see, maybe not this experience specifically, but the questions that this experience is now raising that may have a make-or-break aspect to it for the future health of our nation? I don't mean just physical health, but literal survival? No, I I understand, Craig. I I think it does. But what you would hope is that we don't run headlong into federalized solutions, that uh, as we both agree that one of the, the, the parts of, of example genius in our founders was the understanding that we weren't, uh, that we were a system of, of balanced and distributed power. Um, but there was a sense of national unity that, that called us all uh, to that, that unum, so to speak, out of the pluribus. And that in, in the months and certainly years to come, as we saw after 9-11, where there certainly was a greater federalized uh, program in the DHS that grew out of that, it's very possible we could see something similar, uh, as well as some uh, regulations that come out of it that take a more federalized approach uh, to the next pandemic. But again, these always need to be walked into very cautiously, uh, because this balance between the states and the federal government is is part of the genius of the founders and needs to be preserved. Well, and I think what you're suggesting here too, in that notion of you know the e pluribus unum, uh, you know that 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 is not necessarily something that is constitutionally mandated, but rather comes from the spirit and the heart of the people. Uh, the reason why, I mean, yes, there were regulations put in at the federal level uh, by Washington, D.C. during the time of war, like World War II, but there was also, I think, a, a, a shared sense of, of accountability and responsibility for each other, that you didn't buck the system because you recognized the very survival of not just the United States, but, you know, democracy and, the, and ultimately the entirety of, of, of Asia and Europe. We're hanging in the balance, and I, I, I get very wounded uh, when I see young people, for example, flaunting in the face of a local leader who says, quarantine, you know, let, let's keep our distance six feet apart, stay, you know, shelter in place and so forth, and then a bunch of crazy college kids, college kids say, no, no, this is going to be the coronavirus, you know, pour me another one, and 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 show complete, utter disregard not only for themselves, but for each other. And I think it's that, that, that lack of responsibility for one another 
that is that is a little bit around the edges showing here that, as you're suggesting, I believe, doesn't come out of mandates out of Washington, D.C. that create a sense of unity, but rather really has to emanate out of the heart and spirit of the people. Couldn't agree more, Craig, and I think that's that's very well said. The, the things that w- that are not generated out of the heart and soul of citizens will at some point be mandated by a federal government. And I think out of those two, we'd much rather have the civic culture uh, that that commands us as citizens in the best interest of self-governance to act in the best interest of others. Um, at the same time, the realization that if we don't do that, we could very easily see much more nationalized and federalized responses. Recognizing, as we've suggested here, the importance and the impact of public policy on health care and in ways in which public policy can either help or hinder getting through a crisis like this. Um, ought to remind all of us the responsibility, I'm going to use that word again, the responsibility that we have as citizens. Maybe you're someone eavesdropping on this conversation right now who says, you know, um, you got a point there. Um, the crafting of responsible public policy that puts the best interest of each other as as americans and certainly as 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 the union uh, is so critical right now and wonderful institutions like pepperdine university exist to help train the next generation of public policy molders and leaders to make sure that some of the mistakes of the past even some of the mistakes that are being exposed now don't get repeated if you're interested in how you can be on the front lines of shaping solid reasoned healthcare public policy to protect and defend the future of our nation check out the Pepperdine School of Public Policy of which of course Pete Peterson is the dean information is available online at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu that's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu maybe the notion of enlisting in the battle um, is not one that heretofore had occurred to you but watching what's going on in your family, your neighborhood, your community, your state, your nation um, is beginning to poke the heart of you as a citizen that does care and, and does hope for a bright future for this nation. You think, you know, maybe this is something that I'm being called to, that I'm being enlisted to, then I invite you to find out more. Again, online at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, where you can Get the education that can help equip you with the tools you need to shape future public policy and ultimately shape the future of our nation. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Our thanks to Pete Peterson, Dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, for being with us. Wow, I just looked at the clock. And uh, the good news is, normally my engineer throws things at me when I go a little bit long here. Um, Short those kinds of controls. uh, With great apologies to Joel, I'm going to say 610. Let me step aside here, get you an update on some traffic. We'll come back. Pat uh, Tucci will join us in a moment to talk about Wall Street today. But right now, let's talk about the Wednesday commute.